everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 50 of Music on the Run. Yeah, we're closing the pool down. It's a beautiful fall day here. Wait until you hear this new episode. Music on the Run is next. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donnie Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 50 of Music on the Run. It's hard to believe that we are already at episode 50. Two years, man, flies by. Anyways, thanks for joining us. My name is St. Paul Peterson. And before we get into this interview with a couple of old buddies of mine, let's get into the gratitude segment. I want to highlight a couple of our Music on the Run patrons. Now, if you're wondering what a patron is, They've got a little skin in the game. They're helping us produce this financially. Um, just go to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast, and you can uh, help us out anywhere between 2 and $10 a month. And right now, I want to say a big thank you to our $5 a month patrons, my running brother, Steve Schmidt, and Priscilla Hupsel. Thanks, you guys, so much for helping us put on this broadcast. We're, uh, we're having so much fun with it, and we couldn't do it without you. All right. Well, let's move in to this interview. Uh, these two guys individually have incredible careers, but together they've been in some pretty cool bands. And I actually got to tour with them as well. Right now, they're both uh, with an American Idol and Grammy winner, they're, they're with uh, Carrie Underwood. I couldn't even spit it out because, you know, you know how I feel about Carrie. Please welcome Chad Jefferson, Scott Sheriff. Fellas! Hey, hey, hello! How are you guys Thanks doing? Thanks for having us, Paul. Man, I'm so glad to have you both. Thanks for joining me and taking time out of your schedule. I know you guys are getting ready to go to rehearsal pretty quickly here, right? Yeah, tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Well, now, yes. you're rehearsing with Carrie. You have a big show coming up, a residency, is that correct, in, in Vegas? Yeah, so we start a residency in December, and uh, it's going to be uh, two weeks. And then uh, right now we're going to go back, I think it's in March, where we do another residency, another two weeks there. So we're excited. This is my first time, I don't know about you, but Scott, but this is my first time doing a residency in Vegas and I've had a lot of musician friends that have done it, and they're like, it's the most incredible thing because literally you hit a button on your the elevator <laughs> to go to sound check, and then you right. go back to the room and you know you just hang out the whole time. Uh, so I'm excited to do that. Scott, you have you ever done a residency in Vegas before? I have not. Uh, the only residency I've ever done has been in Niagara Falls, Canada. I did a, a several. Uh, residencies at Falls View Casino. They're just on the northern, just on the Canada side of the falls. Right. And they've always been these pretty cool house shows called Cruising Classics. 
and another one called Rave On, which was the story of Buddy Holly and Big Bopper and Richie Valens. And I did another one called uh, The Rock and Soul, uh, where we did tunes from Memphis and Chicago and just kind of did a bunch of rhythm and Philly soul. So it was pretty cool stuff. It was always a lot of fun, and, and it's really gorgeous up there. But that's the only place. I've never been to Vegas for a residency. Tell me where Carrie's uh, residency is so we can tell my fans and they'll come see you. It's Chat. at the World, World Resort, and it's a brand new place, World Resort. And uh, from what I understand, it's basically, uh, it's going to be rotating between Carrie being there, Luke Bryan, uh, Katy, Perry, uh, Katy Perry, and wow. uh, Celine Dion. So a couple of people you might have heard of, so <laughs> it's going to be kind of cool. But we're yeah, not there at the same I'm, time. We're just rotating. Right, right. From what I'm told, it's uh, kind of closer to the stratosphere end of the strip okay. on the side on the side of the Bellagio. Uh, I think Resorts World is, and it's it's by Hilton, so uh, it's brand new. What a riot! So you guys just to get to hang out, uh, Scott. You're not bringing your clubs, are you? Absolutely, bringing my clubs. <laughs> For those of you I've already who already got. Yeah, go ahead. I already got I already got some high school friends who are uh, planning a golf trip around the Vegas show, so I'm, I'm I'm excited for those opportunities. I may have to do the same thing. I got to yeah. say that Scott, like when we're on the road, you know, if you can't find Scott, just look for the nearest golf course. <laughs> he is he's always golfing, which I think is great because you've got to have something on the road uh, to not you know drive you insane. Well, Scott and I, when we were working together, all three of us, now let me, because my fans may not know this, but the three of us traveled together in Kenny Loggins' band. That's right. That's how we know each other, and we kept our friendship together, you know, and that was, is that over 10 years ago? 2008. 2008, yeah. How is that even possible? That's right. Well, man, did we have fun or what on that tour? <laughs> so we'd be on it the tour. Great. We'd be on tour, and Scott and I would, you know, he'd teach me all these little uh, golf games, and we'd be playing for, you know, did we ever play for any money? You always seem to, to, to skew the game in your favor, Scott, and I don't know. I'm, I've never well, figured those, those games. I, I'm not very good at I get uh, pretty rattled if I play for high stakes, so I think we pretty much play for a dollar. I and think so, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah, it might have been 2007, actually. I, I think our first, my first Kenny Loggins tour was that 2007, and I first subbed in in 2006, and that's when I got the gig the next year. I think that's right. Right. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, Kenny connection in, in you know a little bit later on. I do want to know a little bit about the beginnings. Now, Scott, you grew up in, in Bethlehem or right outside of Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Is that right? <coughs> Eastern Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, it's Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton. It's kind of a Tri-Cities area, and it's kind of right in between New York and Philadelphia. And so, uh, you know, we were always just a couple hour and a half drive to see, you know, a sports game or a concert in either of those towns. So it was kind of a nice central location. But we lived out in the country, so it was was not – it was a pretty humble upbringing, and, uh, you know, I was – played brass instruments at school and and picked up keyboard just kind of when I figured out that I could learn to play by ear I got that from my dad and uh really? so was I he kinda, was he musical as well your father Yeah he played stand up bass his his father had an orchestra in Bethlehem 
And uh, my dad, apparently, you know, before I was born, he was always gone New Year's Eve. That was a big moneymaker for, oh, yeah. for guys uh, who doing gigs around Bethlehem. And so he played stand-up bass, and that's when he brought home a little extra cash and uh, so they could have a nice New Year's Eve. And uh, so I, I got that from him. And my mom was also a music teacher and a music educator, <laughs> and she plays the church organ and the piano. And so she's more legit, can can sight read music really well. And so I kind of I have some of those sensibilities, too, from her. But uh, when I f- figured out you could still be cool and play piano in, in the in the advent of MTV, I was like, hmm, maybe I ought to get a synthesizer and, <laughs> right. and join a band. And so that that's how, how kind of everything started for me. You did know you you also um, you didn't originally go to college for music. Is that right? Yeah, I was kind of. I had the conservative parents who were like, oh well, maybe you should just you know keep you know have a have a plan A and uh, and a plan B. And so I went to Penn State with a business major in mind and was going to minor in music. And then just all my teachers were just saying, really, you're not a music major? Uh, you know, I guess because I was excelling or whatever. But uh, right. so, and then um, I had a, a choir director kind of steer me towards Berkeley at that point. He said, you really, you're not going to get what you're looking for here at Penn State, we're more of a music ed type place, band directors and choir mm-hmm. directors, that kind of thing. You know, there's no, really no professional music training there. But, so he steered me to a couple different places, one of them which was Berkeley. And my parents um, just kind of uh, relented and, and let me chase my dream up there for the, the second or the, the next three years until I graduated from there. You had already been playing in clubs and all throughout uh, Allentown in, in, in Bethlehem. Is that right? Well, we had a little garage band. We played in some under-21 clubs, but I didn't really, we couldn't, I wasn't old enough to, to really play the the big bar scene. You know, I, I could go out with, an, with a, you know, with a parent and maybe go watch my, I had a choir director in high school also played in a, and a top 40 band so it was fun to go out and watch him do his thing on the side on the weekends but i couldn't really take part in that you know so we would play at fairs and outdoor gigs and high school dances junior high dances you know wherever we could play for folks our own age but we there really wasn't too much of an underage club scene and there were there were a couple clubs but uh i didn't really get in i never really have a whole lot of bar scene uh, experience until I was older. Uh, I went all through Berkeley and never played any clubs in Boston. I just did shows wow. within the within the school walls, huh. and I did hook up with a top forty band. But man, I we maybe did two or three gigs before they kind of split up and went their own separate ways. And it just it was too hard to get around, too hard to move my gear, and and I you know just never hooked up with people who who you know wanted to do any major gigging and i don't know that i had a ton of extra time for it because i was trying to compress four years of college into my last three years at berkeley so i was i was working pretty hard and they have a lot of you got to do a lot of studio time and book that and stay on top of that and it's hard getting around it's expensive having a car and parking a car it's just Mm -hmm. it just never really uh never really happened for me club wise in in berkeley so i just kind of finished school and then moved to Nashville. And then I became a studio rat in the, in the beginning until I started doing live gigs. And that's kind of right. when it started to take to, off. 
the big question is, did you become a Red Sox fan? <laughs> I did, and uh, still am. Oh, and, uh, they, they got a big. Uh, they got got some ground to to catch up before they can hopefully make it to the series this year. But but they're hanging in there longer than I thought they would. Right, and of course this airs in a couple of weeks, so we'll uh, we'll know the outcome by the time this <laughs> yeah. airs. Yeah. Let me switch over to you, Chad. Now, first of all, uh, Scott, you play keyboards and sing with Carrie. I just should have said this earlier. Chad, you play all sorts of stringed instruments, dobro, guitar, and tenor saxophone. That's right. <laughs> we're we're going to get to that because yeah. uh, that's my big question mark for you. But you grew up right outside of Nashville. You grew up in, in Tennessee, is that right? I, I did, actually. I grew up in East Tennessee, so okay. it's about four and a half to five hours from Nashville. Oh, so it's not the that very, close. Right, it's at the very point of uh, where Tennessee and Virginia meet. And also, very much like Scott, we're on very parallel paths. Um, I grew up in the Tri-Cities, a different Tri-Cities, but it was Kingsport, Johnson City, and Bristol. Um, I, I grew up in Kingsport, but um, my dad was also a musician, and mm -hmm. he was a singer-songwriter, and entertainer, so he would do a lot of uh, conferences and you know banquets and different things like that um, around the the area in the East Tennessee area. And then my mom was a piano player for church, so she's more of, of reading the music. My dad was more of by ear. My mom was more you know by the music. Wow. So uh, yeah, and and we uh, growing up, we had a little family band. My brother played bass, and then uh, we had a, a neighborhood kid that played drums. Um, cool fact, all three of us are professional musicians. Uh, my no, brother plays bass for uh, Joe Nichols, country artist. And then uh, the drummer, Matt Mahaffey, he, uh, he's, he does all kinds of things. He's produced Pink. He's, mm -hmm. uh, he did some things on the Shrek album. His latest claim to fame is uh, doing all the music for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for Nickelodeon. Um, and then also what a lot of people know him by is Expedia.com. That's him. <laughs> so, I wish I would have wrote that one. And so, yeah. Can you he, imagine uh, the checks going to the mailbox for that one? Can you say direct deposit? I'm sorry. What, what was that? I said, can you say direct deposit? Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Unbelievable. But um, anyway, so uh, once, once my dad and, and mom as well, but once they saw that we were musically inclined and we really liked it, they uh, very much were nurturing to that. And so we were in chorus, we were in band where I played saxophone and then also a snare drum during marching season. Uh, marching season. And, um, you know, and we would play as a band, we would play Dollywood, um, Opryland, Tweety Railroad, like a little amusement park, any kind of city function, you know, anywhere where they'd have us, we'd play. And uh, when it came time for college, uh, you know, my mom's thinking more practical terms. She's like, well, you guys got to go to school, got to go to college. Mm -hmm. Then my dad was saying, well, if you've got to go to school, go where the music is. So for us being more country driven, it's like go to Nashville. So I went to Belmont University here ah. in Nashville and got a degree in music business and then another one in marketing. And while I was at, at Belmont, very much like Scott, I was just playing as much as possible with anybody that would let me, you know, perform with them or, or whatever the case may be. And uh, being in Nashville, you know, it's a very music town. So there's a lot of songwriters nights is what I, I did mostly, but then also some clubs and, and bars, um, which are more like music venues instead of like 
clubs. So a lot of people yeah. get the, the idea of a club right. of just people, you know, getting getting hammered, but it was more of just it's more of a music scene. So Right. Uh, yeah. Do you, I wonder what the difference is. Have you guys ever discussed um your tenure at, at uh, Belmont and um Berkeley? I mean, they've gotta be similar kind of educations in, in I just wonder what the environment would be like and if they're how different that would be. Can you explain to me what, what the environment was like at, at Scott at, at Berkeley? What was that? Was it nurturing? Was it com- competitive? Um, you know, Berkeley was interesting. I think you're, you get out of it what you put into it. We saw a lot of people who would come in there the freshman year expecting to be transformed into rock stars. And then when they kind of uh, would see the work it took and they would kind of see what they were up against because I guess a lot of folks come out of the small pond, you know, into the big city and then they're put they're put in there with, you know, people who are in the upper percentile of musicians and they kind of see what the competition is really in the world, not just in their small town. And so a lot of a lot of kids were like, eh, peace out, you know, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to go uh, study IT or something like that. Uh and and then, but some kids would stay and they dig in their heels and and you know the ones with the, the good work ethic would hit the practice rooms and you just never see them. You just kind of walk by and you, you hear them shedding their rhythm changes and listening to the solos and transcribing and just working. And it was there was a lot of you know it was the '80s. It was the the late '80s, but still, I mean, Berkeley was still had a really heavy jazz influence although there was plenty of pop stuff going on and uh i was there as a music production and engineering major so uh i didn't really i wasn't really concentrating on performance necessarily when i went there but part of the curriculum was taking lessons and so i took keyboard lessons i took some voice lessons and i was in some ensembles and and performing as well but the reason I chose Berkeley was because I wanted to learn about recording and producing. And mm-hmm. at that time, David Foster was, you know, kind of a uh, a hero of mine. He was somebody I really enjoyed. What his work, the sound of his work, and his arrangements, and his musical sensibilities. And so I really kind of wanted to study that and how he achieved some of the sounds and and in in sonic environments that he did on those Chicago records and mm-hmm. all the soundtrack work that he did and even his, some of his symphonic work. And so that's kind of, uh, that was, that was pretty much the, the environment there at Berkeley. There wasn't, it wasn't so competitive. I mean, it was pretty supportive. Um, you know, people <laughs> definitely had clicks of people that they went to and, and uh, you know it was tough breaking in to some of the circles, and but you know I I got involved in the, there was a part of Berkeley called the Yo Team, and they put on a lot of the big shows, like the the singers I think it's called the Singer Showcase and the um, r- rhythm and or rock and I can't remember, but anyway, uh, jazz rock ensemble that's what it was, and so. They kind of saw that I was pretty quick to pick up stuff and actually threw me in there as a background singer at first and then found out that I could play keys. And so they would start utilizing me more and give me a little Mm -hmm. more exposure to kind of start playing in different shows speckled around 
the school, but it wasn't as big a school as it is now either. And so, um, you know, you pretty much knew almost everybody that, that went there. And uh, so I, th- I'm, I imagine, you know, there wasn't a real big country presence at Berkeley. Right. I'm, I'm sure they do a little bit a little bit of jazz at Belmont, but maybe Chad can speak more to that. But that's kind of what Berkeley was like. Yeah, Chad, why don't you explain what the environment was like over at, at Belmont when you were there? Well, yeah, it was actually very similar to what Scott was saying with Berkeley in terms of, you know, and the way I always looked at it was, you know, college is kind of, you guys were talking about baseball. Here's your baseball reference. You know, college is minor league, you know, and then, of course, getting out of college and, and going professionals more than major leagues. Um, but there was definitely competition there, um, you know, and some of it was healthy, some of it was not so healthy, <laughs> but, um, you know, there, there was a lot of, I was actually also in um, studio production, so that was my emphasis, and so I was a studio rat in terms of engineering and then also playing on different people's tracks, and of course, you know, thank goodness some of those um, are are buried somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I just happened to find them. Let's listen to them right now. (laughs) But uh, Belmont was definitely at that time, because this is back in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, it was more country and Christian music, more CCM. And um, there was more, there was some rock coming out of there, but not as much, uh, you know, rock pop. Um, But, you know, it was interesting because every now and again, you'd see, um, you know, it, it seemed to be more female, uh, females coming in like as being artists where their dad is basically saying, you're going to be the next Trisha Yearwood or you're going to be the next Reba McIntyre. Just go to this school and it will happen for you. And, you know, that was not the case. And, you know, there was definitely a, a very quick filtering of people who've got it and who don't. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, it took a little longer for others, but, um, but yeah, definitely for that it was it was a great it was a great um, step into you know right before getting into the majors and being at Belmont. Mm. So, Chad, let me stick with you. Right after college, you joined the Wilkinsons, right? I did. Tell me so, how, that, how do you how does a guy fresh out of college get yeah. that gig? Yeah, so while I was at Belmont, I was in a ton of different bands all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, just you know, playing for whatever. And there was this one particular band that we were um, really going for a record deal because this is you know, record deals were a big deal back then. Yeah, they were. Um, and mm-hmm. and so then this is your traditional of of you know getting a producer. That producer maybe taking you into different labels on uh, what's called Music Row that was here in Nashville, right. where a lot of the business took place and studios and publish, publishing houses and everything. And so um, Matt Rawlings and Kenny Greenberg were the guys producing us, and they were taking us into different labels, different publishing companies to get a buzz going about our little group. And um, unbeknownst to me, one of the publishing companies that, was, that we played in front of, there was a guy named Doug Johnson that was in the room. And Doug Johnson is a producer who actually produced the Wilkinsons. And uh, as I got closer to graduation, um, I had nothing lined up for out of college. I'm, and, and of course, I'm thinking, man, did I screw up? My principal instrument was dobro. So I'm thinking, it, did I focus on the wrong instrument? And like, it's so, you know, so boutique and everything. And about a month before I graduated, I get a call from uh, one of the large artist management companies here in Nashville, Fitzgerald Hartley, 
and the, the man, manager for the Wilkinson said, hey, uh, Doug Johnson is their producer. He heard you play, and they want you to be part of their group for a fanfare, which is now CMA Music Fest. And, you know, of course, I said, well, do you want to hear me play? Do you want to hear anything? He said, no, no, no. If Doug says you're the guy, you're the guy. Wow. And so that was my first step into basically being in the majors. So I played the fanfare with them. Um, that would have been like in June. Then that fall, they got on the Alan Jackson tour. So that was my Ooh. first real tour was on Alan Jackson. So it was quite the ride of, of stepping into that. Keeping the faith you know, was a, lot, a big part of that, but uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, but you were prepared and you were ready to go. When that opportunity knocks, you got to be ready to go. That's right. Scott, something simpler, uh, similar happened to you, right? Uh, right out get, getting out of college, you joined uh, Allies. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about that and who's in that band and, and, and how that kind of helped your career. So um, my goal uh, after graduation was to move to Nashville and try and break into the Christian contemporary music business, which is kind of where it was all happening at the time is Nashville. And I had a lot of friends that I graduated with who had already moved down and were, were doing some pretty heavy-duty engineering over at what was then digital recorders. There were a lot of Christian records being made over there, and they were they had a lot of connections, kind of kicked some doors open for me before I got here. And uh, I waited tables for a while, and then I, I purchased some recording gear and started doing some demos and uh, working with a local singer-songwriter. And... Uh, I got a, a interview with a, a publishing company uh, down on Music Row who was looking for, they didn't have any in-house studios, so they were kind of looking for an all-in-one guy who could, they didn't want to purchase gear. They would love to find somebody who had gear and could engineer and could cut their demos. So uh, that I fit that bill and I brought along, they didn't really need the production side of it, but I had a lot of keyboard gear, so I brought that in with me. And uh, once I started engineering for them, they found out I could also produce and arrange. And, you know, back then, just about every track demo that was coming out was programmed because nobody could afford live players. Uh, and so if you wanted it to sound somewhat pro, uh, you know, they sequenced it. And so I got real handy with my Roland MC500 and, <laughs> and uh, started making tracks for them and um, that kind of got me, got the word around a little bit. I started working with some, some good uh, singer-songwriters. And uh, a friend of mine, Nashville, it's so much who you know and making mm -hmm. connections and networking. A friend of mine that went to our church was doing some studio wiring for these guys that had just moved from California into Nashville because it was so much cheaper. And they were Christian artists, and they were tired of doing everything from California. And they had just written this big hit for Dolly Parton called Why'd You Come In Here Looking Like That. And so these two guys weren't country writers per se, but they had had a, they just got, were able to pitch that song to Dolly and it was a pretty big hit. So that was kind of their ticket to move to Nashville and try and try their hand at, at writing country songs as well as keeping their Christian band together. This band was Allies and the two guys that ran Allies were Randy Thomas, who was the guitar player and is in another band called Sweet Comfort Band with a singer named Brian Duncan and some other guys. But uh, 
the, the lead singer of Allies was Bob Carlyle, who would later go on to record Butterfly Kisses sure. and kind of do a solo thing. He had a pretty huge smash hit with that. So they they were kind of the owners of the band, and it was a five-piece, but the other three guys were kind of just guns for hire. Uh, they, you know, they were on the record the pictures and everything, but Bob and Randy pretty much were owned the band. And, uh, you know, the other guys were in the band as long as they wanted to be in, but nobody else wanted to move to Nashville. So they, um, left California and were looking for new hired guns in Nashville. And so this friend of mine who had wired Randy studio said, Hey, you ought to check out this young kid, Scott Sheriff. He's, you know, he's a good keyboard player. If you look and I know he can sing too. So, Randy gave me a couple songs to learn. He came over to the studio and we played through them. And he's like, "Man, that sounds great. Um, you know, if you can start right now, we're we got some gigs lined up." And so that was my, you know, they were a signed band. They had, had put out four or five records. They were, you know, pretty wow. big as far as Christian acts go. Um, you know, they weren't Butterfly Kisses big, but it's in right. the CCM world, everybody knew who Allies was because Bob Carlyle's voice is just unmistakable, and everybody was just nuts over it because he's such an amazing singer and and a great. He's also a fantastic guitar player and wow. and songwriter. So. Um, you know they were they were well known and critically acclaimed, and so that was kind of my foot in the door. I'm playing for an established band. They got a record deal, and uh, they had just finished putting out a record, so we were touring that uh, record called The River, and there were plans to you know cut their next record, which was Man with a Mission, and uh, we were going to get to play on that record since it was going to be cut in Nashville, and we were now the new band. So uh, the bass player at that time was Mark Hill. He's gone on to be one of the most in-demand session players in Nashville, uh, and the drummer was Brian Fullen. So we were the three Nashville hired guns in Allies. And that kind of kicked, that got my foot in the door, and uh, I had another friend from college, from Berkeley, who was working with Stephen Curtis Chapman at the time, and uh, he was he was a keyboard player, but he was he was also his road manager. His wife was in the band as well. She played keyboards, and they both sang. But he was looking to kind of stay home and start a family, and and uh, so he kind of let me know that he was on the outs, and Stephen would be looking for a keyboard player. And and oh. S- Stephen was really cresting with his career. I mean, he was he broke out of Belmont, and he he just had. Guns a blazing, and his mm. he was a great songwriter. He was winning Dove Award after Dove Award, and his record sales were just climbing. And so uh, when Bob left, uh, he Bob Sauer left. He threw in a good word for me, and I called his management and said, "Hey, I play with Allies. You know, I'd love to audition for for Stephen if he's looking for a new keyboard player." And so one thing led to another. I did the audition and ended up with that gig, and was on that for a good while. Whoa, man, what a journey that is. Now, yeah. Chad, you you were out with Wilkinsons for a couple of years. You came home to uh, to work on your own band. Uh, tell me a little bit about Pin Monkey. Yeah, Pin Monkey. Pin um, Monkey. We're going to take a little break from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday, including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, 
Daryl Hall and John Oates, Earth, Wind and Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast and there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast there are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website and there are many different levels on how you can become involved we could not put on this podcast without our patrons all right let's get back to the interview yeah pin monkey pin Um, monkey so I met the the lead singer back when I was at Belmont, and it, he he had already graduated, but I met him through a friend of a friend, and then uh, he and I did a lot of these songwriters nights around Nashville um, while I was still at Belmont. That's what I was talking about earlier, and so then I went out and you know was uh, performing with the Wilkinsons, and then we we kept doing Pin Monkey. We kept, uh, or actually it wasn't Pin Monkey at the time; it was just the two of us. Eventually, we we needed a bass player. We tried a bunch of different bass players, and I said, "Well, how about my brother?" And of course, you know, the lead singer was like, why didn't you say that in the first place? And I'm like, well, I didn't want to be that guy, right. you know, mm-hmm. hey, I got a brother, you know. And so, um, so my brother joined and then we had a, found a drummer and we didn't want to pay him. So we just said, well, just become a member of the band and we won't have to pay you. So it was the, it was a four piece. Smart and, business. Yeah, right. And so the drummer was actually out with uh, Poco and Pure Prairie League and oh, wow. a couple of different artists. And, uh, and so... We, uh, you know, whenever he and I were both in town, the four of us would get together and, and be playing because the other two guys just had uh, day jobs. But we'd, you know, record and do all kinds of stuff, um, you know, play out as much as possible. And then, uh, sure enough, we get a call from RCA and they wanted us uh, to, to sign us. And so we were with RCA for a couple of years and we, uh, that, that band and all, we did um, one independent album, then we did the RCA album, which is the big budget one, and then mm-hmm. we did another independent one after that. And uh, it was a great time, and, uh, and it was toward the end of that is when uh, I, I'd actually been doing a lot of writing during the Pin Monkey years, and one of the guys I wrote with was a guy named Wayne Kirkpatrick. And Wayne and I would get together at his studio. He and I would just, you know, write a couple of songs and just do guitar vocals. And then I'd play dobro. And so it'd just be kind of a, um, you know, more of a work tape, but still kind of a demo. But then he was also producing Little Big Town at the time. So then he would, um, you know, things that we were writing, he would upgrade. So then he'd bring in Chris McHugh, Mark Childers, um, you know, and then Little Big Town would sing on it for maybe something that Little Big Town would would want, but maybe something Pin Monkey would want or something we could just get cut somewhere else. And it was through those work tapes, demos, whatever you want to call it, um, that Chris McHugh heard me. And so then he told... Mark Hill, which Scott was just talking about Mark Hill, and, and told Keith about me that Keith was looking for a slide player to go out. So Keith Urban. Keith Urban, uh, okay. Keith Urban, yeah. So uh, so anyway, so sure enough, Mark Hill calls me and says, hey, um, you know, we're looking for a slide player and, and you know, your name has been brought up by Chris McHugh. So um, that's how I got onto the Keith Urban gig was, was doing that. Wow, well, before we get... Uh, much further past this point in time, I want to talk a little bit, Chad, about the fact that that band you had, Pin Monkey, got dropped, 
right? Because everything isn't yeah. just great all the time. You know, this right. business is peaks and valleys. And uh, I, my question for you is, how do you keep your spirits up? Your what's your mindset after that? How do you how do you just keep a positive attitude and keep rocking and rolling? Because that's hard, man. Your your dream yeah. band gets dropped from a big label thing, and then it's like, now what? <laughs> right. Really? Well, so after the big budget album that we did with, with RCA, uh, we we're working on another one with Mark Bright. And Mark Bright at the time was producing Rascal Flats, and he had uh, produced some Ariba stuff and uh, a bunch of other different people. And... We were in the middle of making the, the second big budget album with Mark, and then that's when we got dropped. And so our manager called Mark and just said, hey, man, Pin Monkey, we got dropped. And, um, you know, so we're, we're kind of back to square one. We're, the guys want to go ahead and just do an independent album. Are you in? And, you know, Mark said, well, I fell in love with the band. I didn't fall in love with them because they're signed. So I'm on board. Let's let's wow. do this. So we did a low budget uh, album with Mark Bright, <laughs> and wow. and so literally we would go and record. He would find studios like at the last minute that was not booked for the mm -hmm. next day, and so then we'd go in that next day, track everything, and then bring it back here to my house, and then we would do overdubs and everything else. And so there would be a lot of days that Mark would be with Rascal Flats guys and then come over here. Then we'd work until one or two in the morning on Pin Monkey stuff. And so that, you know, it was, it's always tough to, you know, to be dropped. But we also had somewhat of a buyout. So we actually got some money <laughs> for, for us to go away, which definitely makes it a lot easier. Um, but, you know, I think with that, that coupled with us making another album with the same producer that we were making, you know, the big budget album with, and, and Mark is just an amazing guy, really helped a lot. And so, yeah, it, it was great. And then, of course, Mark Bright comes back into my career scene a couple of years later, whenever I get my gig with Carrie Underwood, who he also produces. Wow. Scott, tell so me. All of this is yeah. all the I'm sorry. So no. all of this is interwoven. So whenever someone says, How did you get this gig? I, there's right. not like one thing I can say, well, I just did this and it worked. It's all the small things added up that compounds. And you never know where that next relationship or that next um, you know, that that next person that you meet, how that might change your whole career. Right. So show up a hundred percent all the time. Right? Yeah. You've got to. Especially, yeah, especially in these music towns like Minneapolis and Nashville and New York and L.A. Because there's a million people right behind you that can that can do the job, and they want your gig. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah get him out of there. I'm getting in there. <laughs> Very true, Scott. I was going to ask you about how you got the Billy Ray Cyrus gig. It was um, it was just for a short time. It wasn't really. Uh, it was, well, it wasn't for very long. Billy Ray put out a, a Christian record, and at the time I wasn't doing a whole lot. Um, and uh, they were looking for someone to go out with him on a radio tour who could sing and play keyboards. And at the time, uh, one of the guitar players I played with with Stephen Curtis Chapman had a brother who was the A&R person for Billy Ray over, I think, Word Records was where he ended up signing as a Christian artist. 
And so he was like, okay, well, uh, I remember Scott from the Stephen Curtis days. Maybe he's not doing anything. I know he always used to sing backgrounds with Stephen. <coughs> so he uh, th- threw me on these couple of radio gigs. And, um, you know, it was me and a guy named Chris Rodriguez, who's a guitar player, singer, played with Kenny Loggins for years. Um, and Michael W. Smith is kind of where I first discovered Chris on the, the Big Picture live record, I think was what it was called. Um but, uh, and so, it's just, then was another A&R guy, too, who, and so it was two, two acoustic guitars and keys, and we all sang and behind Billy Ray as he was out there, you know, just uh, shaking hands and, and, uh, and meeting new folks in the, in the Christian radio world and uh, Walmart and things like this. We were just kind of out promoing his record just in an acoustic setting. We would just do five or six songs or whatever, and... Uh, you know, it was fun traveling with him and meeting. That's the first time I actually got to hang out with Chris and, and play with him. Mm-hmm. And we would kind of goof around at rehearsal. And we kind of had a lot of the same sensibilities. We were brought up on the same, you know, artists and stuff right. that we loved. And he's like, you'd be a good sub for Loggins if that ever, you know, came around. And so I think he ended up talking to Carl Hergesell, who was on the Loggins gig as keyboard player, and still is now. Yeah. Uh, but he was taking a break to to leave and do some other things, and he had to miss some dates. So he ended up calling me the fall of 2006. I happened to be at, I remember I was driving around. I was at the PGA Championship in Medina, Illinois. It was year Tiger won, but I'm driving home after the golf one day, and Carl calls me and asks me if I can sub for Kenny Loggins in October. So he was... He was well ahead of uh, when he needed me to sub, but it was good because that that stuff takes some work to get under Ooh. your fingers. And uh, they had some great advanced preparation tools. You know, they made those ISOs with your parts and your vocal parts all panned off to one side, so it's easy to hear exactly mm-hmm. what the guy you're replacing sounds like every night. So that when you get up there, you you know you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's like okay, I just want to cover what this guy's doing so right. i don't i want it to be as seamless for the artist as possible if i try and start to you know recreate everything you know that takes some time to work in and right. and get a rapport with the artist i, I just want to come in and make it seem like the other guy's there it's just somebody else you know so that you can make yourself an invaluable sub that way if you just take that viewpoint you know i'm just i don't want to rock the boat you know there's plenty of time to to show my stuff what I can do, but what I need to do for this gig is just be that person. And subs like that, are, I think, are invaluable. Now that I've kind of been doing some band leading in Nashville, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking for. And I try and set my subs up the same way by, you know, I have charts for every song. I've got recordings of their vocal parts for them to learn. That was a great lesson I learned in Kenny's band. What a, it was just such a obvious thing, but it makes so much sense to just, record what the guy does every night right. and make a tape of it for his sub so he can hear what he's expect what's expected of him and and what the artist is used to you don't last thing you want to do is throw off a guy when he's in front of you know five or six thousand people because you're showing off or trying to you know show how great you are and that's that's it's not the scene for me anyway but um so that's kind of what led me to the logins gig and then after Carl left to do some things with, uh, I guess it was Kathy Tricoli. He was doing some duo stuff with them. Kenny uh, asked me to to come on full-time as his keyboard player. And then shortly after that, 
His MD was also leaving to pursue some uh, opera, German opera stuff. Right. And, uh, that's, and so with his exit, that's when, Paul, you came into the picture, and then Kenny asked me to be MD after that. And then uh, the next, with that, uh, it's, what's the name of that? How About Now was the name of that record. It was a Nashville record and had some Gabe Dixon keys on it and some great slide on it and yeah, steel and stuff. And so uh, they brought Chad into the picture for, for those when we started demoing that record and promoing that record, um, showcasing that kind of stuff. And that led to the summer tour with all three of us there. Was that a um, Chris Rodriguez connection for you as well, Chad? It was, yeah. So, so I get a phone call uh, literally on the landline here at the house, and and it's this guy, and I can and I see it's a, a California number, and there's a, a good friend of mine who's also from California, and he and I play tricks on each other all the time when we don't answer the phone. So I see this call, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, this is this is my buddy Danny. That's Danny. So I answer the phone, and. And whenever I answered the phone, you could kind of hear someone kind of shuffling and like, oh, yeah, uh, wait, wait, uh, uh, okay, wait, uh, yeah, is, is Chad there? And I'm like, yeah, th- this is Chad. He goes, hey, this is Kenny, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Danny, what's going on? He goes, uh, no, it's Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Loggins. And then, you know, when he said it about the second or third time, I could hear the timbre in his voice. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's Kenny Loggins. It really is Kenny and, uh, Loggins. And so he just said, uh, you know, um, I did this Nashville album, as Scott was saying, you know, and there's a lot of slide stuff on it. And, you know, I was asking, you know, my longtime friend and, and bandmate, you know, Chris Rodriguez, and he says, you're the guy. So can you be in, in L.A., you know, in, in a couple of weeks or I guess about a month or so um, and, and, you know, know everything and be ready to go? And, and I, I said, sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, why right. not? And so, and of course, I said, hey, well, do you want me to send something of what I play and, and kind of what I sound like? And he goes, no, that's all right. You know, Raj says you're, you're, you're the guy, so you're the guy. I mean, so. I'm the only one who had to audition for that gig. <laughs> I actually had to audition for that gig. What's that's funny really is that funny. any gig I've ever gotten, I never auditioned for. I hate auditioning. <laughs> auditioning is horrible. Too. I think it's that horrible. that is a waste of time. <laughs> it's so bad. Line up a thousand guys and just see what happens. That was great. But I got to tell you, man, that that when we first uh, started doing rehearsals there, I think it was uh, was it might might have been Burbank or somewhere. Um, I just remember, man, it was a pressure cooker for me because. You know, you guys were all kind of set up in a U shape. And of course, for those listening, um, Kenny has normally like a bullpen of players. So, you know, he might have two or three drummers, a couple of guitar players because, you know, he mixes and matches, you know, when people are busy out with other artists. And so he had you guys all in a horseshoe. Then I'm right in the middle with him looking right at me. And I was just, and I, I heard from a lot of you guys that his ears are amazing. He hears everything musically. And I, I was just sweating bullets when we started doing those songs because I knew that I knew that he knew every part that I was going to play. And so, uh, kind of like what Scott was saying, you know, yeah. I learned those parts note for note. And I'm not trying to rock the boat, and I'm not trying to 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 show him my coolest little flashy lick that I just learned mm-hmm. on guitar. My my job is to service, you know, be of service to the artist and to know the music that they sent me, and and just rock it from there. And that's, but I, I just, I'll never forget that day. That morning I was, man, I needed to go, 
yeah, change his shirt or something because I was sweating. <laughs> well, he and he would sweat you. He would he would know exactly what he wanted to hear, and he would correct you precisely. Which that's the you know, Scott was talking is. about. Yeah, and and Scott was talking about you know learning by ear, and and that's how I learned. And you know, so that's you know, and of course, I was the new guy in the band, and the the new guy with the new toys, you know, the slide instruments and everything. So you know, during sound check, he'd come over to me and say, "Hey." Can you play this? And da 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 da. You know, he'd sing it to me. Then I would just try to play back what he just sang. And I just remember some of those sound checks that we did. And you know, we do all these different versions of "I'm All Right." And so when Showtime comes around, I'm thinking, what what version are we doing? <laughs> There's a, Boy, a lot of you know, that. bright eyes looking at each other on stage. So that was yeah. a lot of fun. But I'll never forget that time with you guys. I mean. That bonded us forever. That, that tour, um, we'll be friends for all times because of that. Yeah. Pretty darn cool. Just because I want to be good to you guys, I want to jump ahead. We did the Loggins thing. That kind of disappeared. Now, in between time, Chad, did you have another gig that you went to right away out of, out of uh, Kenny? Did you go right to Kerry? I did, Yeah. But you did uh, via, not, right, Scott? You you had a little time off in between there, right? Yes, uh, I had some time off, and well, I'm going to uh, ask you about that time off because time off sometimes is scary. Yeah. And, did you uh, did you think you, know, you did you think it would be rocking and rolling and getting on another major tour, or were you did it ever cross your mind that you wouldn't? Um, it. It definitely did cross my mind that it, uh, you know, that I probably I was, you know, content with doing the the local thing because I had started developing these cover bands in Nashville. We started with the, you know, I joined Kenny's band in 2007, but even three years before that, we had uh, started a Steely Dan tribute here in Nashville, and that was going really well. And uh, we were, you know, just about selling out the third and Lindsley club just about every time we played and we started to mix in some Chicago and, and we formed a Chicago tribute as well. And so I was starting to get the, I kind of was like, you know, if I, if nobody else wants me to work for them, I'm going to start creating things of my own and maybe kind of be my own boss and, and uh, try and develop some, some niche things here in town that no one else was doing. And so that, you know, that was working out. Okay. And uh, just, Kind of had a lot of different irons in the fire. I do a lot of Sibelius music notation work and still do at the time. Uh, you know, when I started getting involved with Kenny and he started working with David Foster, David Foster's music director came to me to see if I had any uh, of charts of Kenny's music that they could build off of for their shows when Kenny would come in and sing and I showed him my work and he's like and he liked my work and he's you want to come work for us when we do shows so he would start farming the David Foster wow. band work part of the notation work out to me and it was kind of a a bullpen uh so to speak there was three or four of us I think that were working on all those shows because there were just so many songs it would be pretty overwhelming to ship all that to one person but the music director liked what we did, and and so he would continue to. And I'd end up read, you know, doing all these songs I loved, like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Celine mm. Dion, and and then Bocelli would come in, and he'd do a, mm. you know, I'd, I'd be doing all this incredible music, and 
I even did a couple Carrie songs once I started playing with her because he came to me for the same thing. She did a fight night for him down in Phoenix. But anyway, so I was kind of, I had that time in between and I'd even thought maybe about going back to school and, and learning to be a web designer because I just, things weren't happening really right. after the, the Kenny thing shut down. And, uh, but eventually, uh, you know, they started to pick up and, and then I got the call out of the blue from, from Carrie's music director who had known me from the CCM days. We had kind of worked our way up through the ranks playing with different artists, never playing with each other, but we had enough people that we, cross-pollinated with that we knew of each other and were familiar enough uh, you know we had a, one common friend he's a, a guitar player here in town and he's not here in town anymore but his name was David Cleveland he moved to Virginia but still does a ton of work here but he was huge in the session world but he came up in a band that Mark came up in called Truth and and uh, then David went on to play with Stephen Curtis Chapman. So we would do some Super Bowl parties, yada, yada. And I got to know Mark and his brother, Mike Childers. And so when Carrie's keyboard player decided to kind of stay home and do some other things, he knew that I could sing and play. And so they wanted to have a keyboard player that could do both. And so he gave me a call and, and asked if I wanted to uh, come and audition. And so I went and sang for them. He, he said, I don't need to see you play, but... Um, you know, I would love to hear you sing and, you know, the, the management folks kind of want to hear how your vo voice blends with Carrie and so on and so forth. And so that's kind of how I got my shot and got, got in the, in the Carrie camp. So that wasn't a call from Chad. That wasn't, that, was, that wasn't Chad going, I know the guy over here, <laughs> no. but I bet you were going, yes, please come on. No, but when I heard it, I thought, this is awesome. This yeah. is so great. So how many years have you guys been playing with Carrie? You've been with her a little bit longer, right, Chad? And yeah, I think around 14 years. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah, now I mean, I'm right only... after the Kenny, so. Golly. What about you, Scott? Yeah. Yeah, I've only been six years since 2015. Six and a half. What's the best thing about the Carrie gig? I'll start with you, Scott. Um, the best thing for me is... Uh, their management from the top down is really chosen well when they make their hires. It seems like everybody in her organization is really at the top of their game with what they do from the tour manager, merchandise, the, the monitor people, the tech people, uh, you know, just I'm able to show up at a festival without a sound check and put in my ear monitors and it's exactly how I want it. And he's, mm -hmm. we've, you know, he just knows they hire people who have sensibilities and just know what they're doing. And they're always at the top of their game. And, and it just makes our life so much easier to just be able to, you know, show up and do what we do and not have to worry about doing something else. You know, hmm. what about you, Chad? Yeah. I mean, definitely the professionalism is a big part for me because um, you know, you, you know exactly what your role is and there's no guessing. Um, you know, I've, I've been in certain situations where, you know, some people are buddy, buddy with the artist and then, and you're, you're trying to figure out what, what do I need to do? Do I need to hang out with the artist or, or, or do my actual, what they, they're hiring me to do? And, you know, with Carrie, it's like, you know exactly what your role is. And, and I think when you have that space, that space and those boundaries with that space, you can go to the edge of the boundaries and you can really, you know, be yourself and, um, and do your job at a high level. Um, 
and you know, it, it goes without saying. I mean, it's awesome to have Carrie's vocals in my ears oh, on a nightly man. basis, you know, and just to hear a world class singer and along with a you know a world class band. I mean, just to have everyone, like Scott was saying, everyone's at the top of their game, and to have all of that with that just that magic happening. Um, and, and it is amazing that we can go to these fair, fairs and festivals and just literally walk on stage, put our ears in, and go and perform, and, and it, everything is just like it, it should be. It, it really is amazing. And you're playing tenor saxophone. I about fell out of my <laughs> chair when I saw that. <laughs> so Tell the story me about with that. that. Yeah, right, I want to so hear it. So the story it. with that is um, I played in, in, in high school, I played saxophone in, in the concert season, but I marched snare in marching season. So um, anyway, uh, and I was going for scholarships uh, right out of, of, of high school, um, and I actually got a couple of full rides, but then I decided I wanted to go to Belmont because of the music business program that they had. So, um, so pretty much, I shelved the saxophone, literally, just, it's, it's like, it's still in my studio here, the one that I had, and has not been out of the case, and, um, and then whenever we started the, the Cry Pretty tour, uh, starting production rehearsals and, you know, the, of course, management and, and, and their music director getting different ideas together, um, our music director sent out a text saying, hey, I know this is a long shot, but does anybody in the band play saxophone? And, of course, I'm thinking, okay, do I raise my hand or do I just kind of, <laughs> right. you know, like not... And my good buddy, Scott Sheriff, not to mention any name, said, hey, I think Chad played once. <laughs> so, did you call him out? I don't remember that. I don't remember know. the I, I guess maybe I did. Oh, God. Because oh, when I saw classic. that, I'm like, Ugh. okay, yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I told our music director, I said, well, I sort of play. And he said, well, how can you sort of? I'm like, well, I haven't played in 20 years or 25 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to go, uh, one thing great about Nashville is there's a lot of uh, music manufacturers here that make instruments and everything. I found um, someone that made uh, saxophones and they hooked me up and it, it was kind of like riding a bicycle that came back some nights better than others, but you know, you know, it's putting it all out there. And, you know, once again, you know, I'm just trying to be of service to the artists that I work for and uh, it, it's fun. Good. Congratulations to both you guys on what a, on a great gig and great careers that you guys have. It's just for me sitting back and because I know you guys to be able to see my brothers on all the award shows, all the late night talk shows, and I just I'm like, there he is, there he is. You know, Julie and I are sitting here going, yeah. So we we're, we're so happy for you and proud of you and all that. It's just fantastic to watch. Uh, I do have a question for you, Chad. Now you also have a, another side of things. When you're not on the road, tell folks what you're doing when you're not on tour. So I do uh, luxury real estate here in the Nashville area, and I work for a company called Compass, and they have a sports and entertainment division. Mm. So we primarily work with artists, musicians, managers, uh, you know, songwriters, every, every uh, and also sports figures as well. And, you know, a lot of people, they're like, I don't get it. Real estate, music. And so growing up, as I said earlier, my dad was a singer-songwriter and my mom was a realtor. So both of those uh, those those careers have been in my blood from the get-go. And um, 
you know, it, it just a couple of years ago, I figured, hey, it's time to get into the real estate game because the market here in Nashville is amazing. And so, <laughs> good timing, <laughs> like, brother. Hey, why not just jump in? And uh, and it's great because it 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 kind of scratches the itch of kind of how I feel on stage a lot of times, just that dopamine rush mm-hmm. of of you know entertaining people or being of service. And and I've just I'm loving it. It's really fun. And you're a new papa. And I'm a new papa. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, so, brother. Thank you. Little Carter Ryman was married, or married was uh, born on uh, August 3rd. And, uh, and he's, he's, just, he's the, just a little bundle of joy to us. Good for you guys. Congratulations. Not getting a lot of sleep, but, uh, but we're, we're good. <laughs> Scott, when you're not on the road, you're still doing your uh, Steely Dan stuff and all your gigs, right? And, and your production stuff. Yeah, we uh, we're still keeping the bands going. Um, I'm in an Eagles tribute band called the Eagle Maniacs. That's not one of my bands per se, but uh, they're really going like gangbusters. Uh, that that band has an incredible following, and so uh, it's not hard to find rub two sticks together and find an Eagles fan. They're everywhere, and and so yeah. they like what we do, and we get uh, quite a few bookings with that band. And uh, we we kind of we have one band that's in transition. It was called Live from Ventura Boulevard, and we kind of put on the '70s clothes and we perform with the yes. same guys and call it we call it Yachts Landing. And so we're trying to get in on the whole yacht rock movement oh, that uh, that those videos have spurred <coughs> on. And and there's a huge band in Atlanta that's that's just really running gangbusters uh, doing that stuff. And so. Uh, we've been they've been kind enough to let us in on the on their on their their little niche market and uh, help us out so we we uh, hopefully can get that thing up and rolling when I'm not on the road um, but yeah so that's that's kind of what's happening down here in in uh, cover band world well you guys are about to get busy and do your your uh, residency with Carrie in Las Vegas before I let you go. Because there are up-and-coming musicians and people who are interested in the music business who listen to this, and fitness people, um, tell me and give me some word of advice for people who are coming up in the music business. Something that has stayed with you and you feel is part of your success. Chad, I'll start with you. I would say find find out what makes you what what makes your heart sing without trying to be too poetic. Mm. But I mean, I, I, you know, whether it's your instrument or whether it's voice or whether it's a style of music, find what just really makes you, makes you go. And um, because there's going to be a lot of hard days and there's going to be a lot of long, uh, long days, you know, long nights. And it, it really helps whenever you really, you know, when you're digging what you're either playing um, or the kind of music that you're playing. And then second right behind that would be the people, the people around you and the relationships that you make. How about you, Scott? Um, for me, I think it goes back to just uh, no matter what the gig, always show up like you're getting paid a million dollars to do what you do, whether it's a free gig or it happens, it might happen to be a good paying gig. Always bring that same level of professionalism there and it's all in the preparation, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, I try and when young, younger musicians say, well, what's the, what's, what should I 
concentrate on to make it in the business. I say, try and be as well-rounded as you can be. Learn, if you don't read, you know, learn to read, but also develop your ear. Because if you can be a double threat, there's a little more, there's a few more doors that can open up for you. And you get to do some of the extra things like, uh, you know, when we might implement a choir or something i can put together hey you know i can put a choir arrangement together for these folks oh that brings added value to what you bring to a situation you know oh we need a string arrangement well i can do that too i've done some string arranging and you know just add as many arrows to your quiver as you can and, and always be prepared for any situation Brothers, I love you both so much, and it's so great to connect. Thank you for taking the time out to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. We appreciate it. It's so good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been it's been great. It's been a pleasure. All right, that's it for episode 50 of music. 50 of music 50. on the run. 50, that's 50, awesome. 50 with two of my favorite people on the planet. We'll see you <laughs> in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razzo. Video editing by Tanner Montague. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, your network of people is everything. Yeah.